So Jesus, our resurrector, is kind of the name of this morning, or a title I wanted to kind of give it. But, but specifically, as seen through the eyes of Isaac, through, through the eyes of Isaac, and you're like, how are these two connected? Remember, the story of Genesis 1 through 11 is that God created man. God created all that is. God is the sustainer of life. He's the creator of life. And he gives dominion over to man, Adam, to rule in his place. And remember the story that obviously the dominion that God gave to man to rule in his place was forfeited to Satan. So in Genesis 1 through 11, we have this story of the degradation of mankind, the losing of dominion of mankind. And we get to Genesis 12 and God begins his plan of redemption although he had already started that with Noah, but he comes into Genesis 12 and he pulls Abraham out of a very, very pagan culture. And as he pulls Abraham out, of course, Abraham is promised that through his lineage, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so the story begins that we start focusing on where Jesus is coming from. And beginning in Genesis chapter 12, we start learning that Jesus will come and he will be the sacrifice and the propitiation, the atonement for mankind. And through the way, we start learning that, that, that there are types and there are shadows all along that we're teaching about the foreshadowing of, of Christ dying on the cross and being atonement for our sin. And so, if this is the case, we should be able to go into the Old Testament and see all these fantastic stories that are foreshadowing what Christ did for us. But I want you to know something this morning. As we start, and I have on the screen here, I put Jesus, our resurrector. That's a little different than what you would normally hear in church, right? We want to say Jesus has resurrected. Yes, Jesus has resurrected. But what has drastically changed in my life in the way that I will always preach this Sunday or when we really every Sunday, right? Is that not just that Jesus has resurrected, but that Jesus is our resurrector. Let, let's say it a different way. I believe that Jesus died for our sins. You say, oh, wow, big breakthrough, Ken. Everybody believes that. Well, not everybody. No, everybody doesn't believe that. There's a lot of people this morning in church. In fact, the vast majority of churches this morning believe that only Jesus' body died, but that his soul was absolutely alive and that never died. Well, that really diminishes the resurrection, doesn't it? He was already alive, but now just he entered back into his body. I mean, that's kind of like, by the way, that's not in the Bible anywhere. That is, a lot of that is due to Greek philosophy. But I believe this morning, as I know you do, that Jesus actually died for our sins. Let me put it a different way. If the Father hadn't resurrected him, then he would still be dead and wouldn't be available to resurrect you. You see, let's go back to the Old Testament for a second. In the Old Testament system with the tabernacle, you know, you, we've talked about this before, but the reason why when the smoke come, came up from the tabernacle and they began to rejoice and worship God... They did that because not only did God show up and they were just, they're just worshiping God because he's such a great God. He is a great God, but very specifically they were worshiping God because that means that when they slit the neck of that animal, it was the animal's neck, not their own. So they went through the process of, 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 of cutting the animal and sacrificing the animal, but it wasn't until the animal sacrifice was accepted that they knew the animal actually took their place. So when the smoke came and they went, oh, it wasn't like, oh, cool, God's here. We love, you're such a good guy. It was like pins and needles. It's either the animal's neck or it's my neck. 
And when God shows up, you go, oh, good, it was the animal's neck. I get to live another year, right? So Jesus dies for our sins. Why is it important that Jesus dies for our sins and the Father resurrected him? Because if the Father hadn't resurrected him, he would still be dead. And even if you've trusted in this whole book and you believed every single word of it, you would be dead, you'd be asleep in Christ, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, and you had already perished. It's it. That's the end of your story. You could die knowing you believed in Christ, but he would be dead too. And so that's why very specifically we want to say Jesus died for our sins. Think of it this way, and not a lot of people say it this way. If the Father hadn't resurrected him, he would still be dead. And what is the significance? Then he wouldn't be alive to resurrect you at his second coming. We worship Jesus today, not just because he's stronger than us. He wasn't just showing off his muscles resurrecting. We worship him because he started a brand new race of people. And in him bypasses the curses in Adam. And if Jesus is alive and we're in him, then he is the one that sustains life and he resurrects us at his second coming. Now let's look at a really interesting story in Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. So remember we talked about God set apart Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, sometimes we call it. And he said that in you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Not just the Jews. All the families would be blessed through Abraham. And we have some significance here. God starts putting together these amazing types and shadows in the Bible. And the types and shadow we're going to look at this morning is one of, oh, there's, Jen. I was wondering where my verse was. I lost verse one. Let's bypass that for a moment. There are many types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. For example, Joseph is a type of Christ. If you look at the story of Joseph, Moses is a type of Christ. But Isaac is also one of those types. The Bible does talk about types and shadows. In Hebrews chapter eight, in verse number three, it says, for every high priest is appointed to both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things. In other words, in the old covenant system, when the high priest came, Jesus wasn't on the earth then. So we're dealing with men. They're putting on very particular robes to look a very particular way. And this is all representation because, the writer of Hebrews says, because Christ is not on the earth. So we're all kind of playing a role. We're in a giant theatrical performance. And these very set-apart people who acted a very specific way and had to follow a very specific set of rules were allowed to participate in this theatrical performance. Why? They were serving a copy and shadow of the heavenly thing. So we all know what a shadow is. Amazingly, John walked out of my house a couple nights ago, and it was the moon was so big a couple nights ago that it cast a shadow, and it was a clear shadow. I looked at the guy and said, look at that, man. The moon is ca you're casting a shadow. The moon's, the moon's casting a shadow? Yeah, I guess that would be the right way to say it. It was so bright. So what does that shadow represent when we walk out here? It's an exact outline silhouette of you. And so the old covenant is the shadow. Well, what's casting the shadow? Heavenly things. 
Does that make sense? So the light of God in heaven has the real, and you're casting a shadow, and you see all that old covenant system, the ceremonial stuff, and all the tabernacle, the high priest, it's all a shadow of the real. Well, it goes on to say, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is a shadow of the real. What's the real? Christ. He dwelt with us. He tabernacled with us. For he said that, see that you make all things according to the pattern you, uh, shown you on the mountain. In other words, Moses was following a blueprint. Well, what was the blueprint? The blueprint was from God, a, 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 a picture of what was to come. It wasn't what was to come. It was, a, it, was a, it was a silhouette of what was to come. So these kind of types and shadows are all throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at one this morning in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I remember when I was little, this story really confused me. It's kind of like one of those difficult passages in the Bible. When, when you read this at face value, you're like, wait a second. Um, Abraham was just called in Genesis 12. If I'm reading the story right, God says, all of the earth will be blessed through you. Then all of a sudden, there's a problem. Abraham doesn't have any kids. And he's too old to have kids. So there's a major problem here. So they actually, out of a lack of faith, bypass uh, his wife, and he has a child with a servant. That child is Ishmael. So today, if you want to trace that lineage back, you have a whole host of unbelievers that are not from the line of Isaac, but Abraham is their father. A lot of the Muslims use that argument. Abraham's also our father. They're from the line of Ishmael. But the promised seed is through the line of Isaac. So God finally provides. And by the way, any little trivia question here. Anybody know what the name Isaac means? Remember? You'll know it as soon as I say it. You'll remember. It means laughter. Laughter is born. Why was he called laughter? Sarah laughed. You're going to... Remember she heard the... You're going to have a bit... That's good. That's what we'll call him. We'll call him laughter. So you can always remember that you didn't trust in this miraculous promise that God gave us. So Isaac is born. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God brings this incredible story to us. Finally, we have the father figure in Abraham, and we have the promised only son Isaac. And interesting, the Bible calls Isaac the only son when there was Ishmael. So that means he didn't even recognize him as the son. So now we have Isaac. And it came to pass these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Those kind of sound like familiar words, don't they? (laughs) Or else have we heard words kind of like that? The father speaks of Jesus in those terms. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Okay, we're just going to really cut, cut to the chase in a lot of these types and shadows. Where's the land of Moriah? The land of Moriah and the area of Moriah contains where Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary, as we call it, on Golgotha. That's the same area as Moriah. So in your mind, this gets really neat. So in your mind, you know that right here, a couple thousand years before Jesus is born, you have this story going on. 2,000 years later, Jesus will die in this exact same place. It's fascinating. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. For our terms this morning, go to Calvary. And offer him there as a burnt offering. Um, As a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. 
Now, we don't often think about Jesus. And by the way, Matt and I were talking about this so long yesterday. Um, uh, and I think it's important to state that the types and shadows study we do, the theming study that we do, they're not going to always translate perfectly, okay? Because it, because it's a shadow. It's not the exact. So there's going to be areas of it that are off. But I do think this is fascinating. Maybe you're reading this and you say, why a burnt offering? Christ wasn't a burnt offering. But actually, in the book of Ephesians, I believe it is. I didn't put this in our notes. But I believe it's the book of Ephesians. It talks about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross goes up before the Father as a sweet-smelling savor. So very interesting stuff that when you start thinking about how God viewed the sacrifice of Christ. But he said, go to a, 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 offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Think about this verse. Now, uh, something else we were discussing last night. The, back, the cultural backdrop of this story is that child sacrifice was quite common. But it was common with the pagans. And so this is something that you have to see in the book of Genesis and in the cultural backdrop of when Jesus' ministry was here. He would often take very popular cultural things and he would throw them on their head. He would put them completely upside down. Okay? And so here you have the God who loves, the God who creates, is saying, I want you to do this pagan thing. I want you to sacrifice your son and take him up with you. What is Abraham to think here? But, you know, we often don't say this. What was Isaac thinking? You've got to understand, Abraham is an old man at this point. Isaac is about 16. Just keep that in mind as the story progresses. So what is the picture here this morning? The picture is Abraham is a picture of the father. He's the father in the story. Isaac is a picture of the son, the only son in the story, who's also the sacrifice. See the picture there? Father and son. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac and his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to him, went to the place which God had told him. So the story progresses. Let's see if this sounds familiar to you. You have a father. You also have somebody riding a donkey here. You also have two people on either side of the sacrifice. That sounds familiar. There's two people that were with Jesus also. You have wood involved. Hmm. But isn't that incredible? Jesus carried his own cross, the instrument of his death. And now here we're going to see Isaac is carrying the wood. It's very, very interesting how this parallel goes. He arose and went with him to the place. Then on the third day, oh, a third day is involved in the story too. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. This is very important. Now, what does Abraham think in his mind right now? Abraham thinks in his mind, I'm going to go plunge a knife into my kid. Why? Because God told me to. (laughs) And he looks and he says, the lad and I will go yonder and do what? It's a state of worship. Really, to do something that doesn't make sense? Yeah, why is it worship? Because remember, we talk about worship being worth-ship. You're attributing worth to Christ when you worship him. We talk about this so much, but for those of you who maybe haven't heard this, my favorite example of worshiping the Lord is is that of the Antique Roadshow. (laughs) If you remember that show on TV, I love the Antique Roadshow. I don't don't even know if it's still on anymore. I haven't seen it for a long time. 
What the antique roadshow is that you bring in, you know, you bring in something that's been in your family for generations, or you found it at a garage sale, or you found it in a storage unit. You take it into the professional, right? And they, and, you, and they say, do you know what you have here? And you're like, no, that's why I'm here. I have no idea what this is. They go, this is a first edition Picasso. This is from this century and this kind of style of art. Oh, if it's authentic, it will be on the back. There it is right there. It's issue, issue number one. You know what this is worth? You're like, well, I hope a lot. I have no idea. This is, and then the wonderful music comes on the screen. Quarter of a million dollars. You go, wow, I'm selling. You know, <laughs> you can see in their eyes, I'm going to sell. Um, and and, and what, what, that, that, that person telling you about the item is attributing worth to it because they know about it. You are that person at the Antique Roadshow. Your whole life is you're holding this painting of Christ. You're holding this story. And you're like, if this is real, this should be here. Oh, yeah, there it is. You are that guy. You're inspecting Christ. And whatever you think of him, you're attributing worth to him. And, and if, he's, if you have very low, low view of Christ, you'll worship him. You'll put worth, very little worth on him. But if you th have a great big view of him, you'll attribute a lot of worth to him. And that is worship. That's worship. So he says here in a very strange way, he thinks he's going to go kill his kid. But what is he going to do? He's going to go show worth to God. How's that? Because he told me to do something. And I worship him. I show worth to him. I value his words. He's in charge of the situation. But here's what he says. And we, a plural, we will go, come back to you. What's he saying there? A resurrection is going to take place. I'm about to go slay my kid, but don't worry. It's an act of worship. Do you understand it? Nope. But we have the benefit of knowing the shadow and, and, the, and the real. We actually are learning. God has done this all along. He has a prophet lay on his side. Why? To teach about the siege of Jerusalem. Man, why are you doing these strange acts to teach you about something? This is to teach us about something. We will come back to you. So look at this. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Again, 16-year-old, old man. Dad, you want me to carry this wood, Dad? Sure, I'll do that. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to put this wood on you, the very instrument that's going to kill you. He took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. Abraham, Isaac, Isaac has a few questions at this point, <laughs> wouldn't you? Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, here I am, my son. <laughs> I can just so see this. He said, look, uh, the fire in the wood. The question, and I want you to get this, this is very important for later. He said, where is the, what's that word there? Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? This will, come in, this will be important at the end, but just remember here. Isaac very specifically said, we have wood, we have fire, where is the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, my son, and I can almost, can't you just hear a father's voice quivering? I, I can't help it, Rick, to think of Drew when I, when I read this. I know, and I know you can't help to think about, about your, your sons. David, I know you think about Jonathan. Jonathan looks up and he says, dad, where, where's the lamb? You look at him. My son? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. 
whoo, let that sink in. I mean, a dead, uh, human minds can't even comprehend what's happening here. Verse number nine, then they came to the place which God had told them. It doesn't talk about their conversation on the way up, but I can only imagine he's like, you sure about that, Dad? <laughs> yeah, I trust the Lord, son. I trust the Lord. Oh, if only I could show this kind of faith to my kids. What God says goes, guys. You know, and, and, and I'll just say this. With all that we've said this morning in our prayer time, the sovereignty of God is so powerful. And all the things that happen in my life, in Sarah's life, that we talk about, even this morning on the way here, Sarah said, I'm so excited to see how God is going to use this for his kingdom. Now, that's my wife. Whew. I'm blessed to have a wife that will interpret trials and say, when Christ gets the victory on this thing, because he will, because he wins, how is he going to use this for his kingdom? Dad, where's the lamb? He'll provide it, son. They came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And this is crazy. He bound his son Isaac. He bound his son Isaac. And and look what he did. He laid him on the altar upon the wood. Again, old man, 16-year-old. Get the picture. This isn't a five-year-old. This isn't isn't me manhandling a four-year-old, binding him and throwing him on here. He went, Isaac, could you get up there for me? You're not going to carry Isaac up there. He's 16. Also, he couldn't bind Isaac. You know what that means? That Isaac said, go ahead, Dad. Whoa. You know, we learn about Jesus as a lamb before her, before the, 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 the shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. As the lamb of God just goes before her shears and goes to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. As Pilate is ridiculing Jesus, you have nothing to say for yourself? I'm here on behalf of my father. It's exactly what Isaac did. Son, I'm going to have to tie you up now. Okay, Dad. Son, I'm going to need you to get up on this pile of wood here. Okay, Dad. <laughs> Abraham stretched out his hand to take the, and took the knife to slay his son. Lord, are you sure about this? But, <laughs> aren't you glad? Ooh, man, get cut a little close there, Lord. <laughs> so you and I are celebrating the resurrection of Christ this morning. God sent his only son, who opened not his mouth and was obedient to his father, even to the death of the cross, stepped in just in time on your behalf. That was close. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. I bet he's never been so happy to hear commercial break. So he said, here I am. I imagine that as like an SOS. I'm over here. The voice from heaven said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. Here it is again, your only son from me. You say, wait a second, wait a second. Ken, you said this was a shadow and a type. But Isaac doesn't die. 
You're right, the appointed time hadn't happened yet. What, what does happen? Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. So Abraham, can you get, you get the idea here? Knife is up. Abraham, don't touch him. Gladly, Isaac. Oh. Some rustling over in the bushes in the side. The knife is down. Abraham is sweating. Isaac is really sweating. You look over there, and there's a ram that can't get out. And he's caught in these thickets, these thorns, this rose bush. So Abraham went and took the ram. By the way, we read through that so quickly. What, what a manly move. <laughs> I mean, if I had done something like that, I'd talk about it all the time. I'm telling you about the time a ram was caught in the thicker bush, and I just went over and picked it up. Anyway, it just happened so quickly in the text. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering. And here's your big takeaway today. Instead of his son. Wait a second. Wait a second. Question. If this is a type and a shadow, remember at the beginning, Isaac said, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where is the, what was the word we said? What was it? Lamb. Lamb. Abraham then says to his son, God will provide a lamb. And Matt and I looked at this last night to make sure these were not the same Hebrew words. Did God provide a lamb? No. What did he provide? A ram. A ram. Instead, they offered the ram instead of his son. Why wasn't the lamb provided? Because in the story... Isaac was the lamb. You're the lamb, son. Because the story of Christ going to the cross is he's the lamb. But we're a couple thousand years before the actual. This is a shadow. What's on the outside of the tabernacle? It's draped in ram skins. A temporary sacrifice skin. So we're still in the mode of temporary. This is the shadow. So when you see Christ going to the cross, you should say... I've seen this story before. Here's where God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Here's the story where the father provides the son. Oh, I've seen this one. At the last second, just wait. The knife is going to stop and there'll be something else. There's going to be an animal. I've seen this one. Guess what? In the story of the resurrection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's where, it's, that's where it's different. God provided a lamb, just like Abraham said. It wasn't a ram on the, in the thickets this time. Think about a ram in the thickets for a second. The substitute that allowed Isaac to get out of this horrifying shadow picture of Christ coming, the substitute on his head had thorns. When Adam fell, Adam was told... The ground will be cursed. And to provide for your family, you're going to have to go through all these thorns and this hard ground. And by the sweat of your brow, you'll provide for your family. And so it's always been associated with thorns with the fall of mankind, of the earth. And so what happens when Jesus comes? He wears a crown, all right. But he's the king of sin. And he's crowned with a crown of thorns. 
just like this ram caught in the thickets. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. I think that's a pretty good name for that place. And I know, I know there's a lot of us that are hurting this morning. Guess what? The Lord will provide. I love, Rick, thank you for what you said this morning. When we were giving prayer requests, and difficult prayer requests this morning. And you know what Rick said? It's going to be okay. I love those words were so comforting when you said that. Because you know what? It is going to be okay. Because of Jesus, it is going to be okay. Maybe not immediately or the way we want, but Jesus is alive. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and said, he said, by myself I have sworn. Now here's a covenantal statement. You want to see all this come together with covenantal statements? Listen to how this story wraps up. He says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. There's our picture. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. There's a reference to the stars of heaven for revelation stuff. And as the sand is on the seashore, so your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Hey, guess what, Abraham? You're in covenant with me. Because of your belief, let's go do this. Now, a couple thoughts here. You say, Ken, how do you know, because there's a lot of preaching going around, that Abraham actually believed there was going to be a sacrifice. He did not believe he was going to sacrifice his son. Oh, yes, he did. By faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, gives us a divine-inspired commentary on our story this morning. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham believed. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And who he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Isn't it very interesting the writer of Hebrews starts connecting the dots of the type and shadow of Isaac to that of Christ. He says even his only unique begotten son. That's the word begotten means unique. Again, no mention of Ishmael being the son. Verse 18, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Oh yes, Abraham knew, Abraham knew that if I go and slay my child, God will raise him from the dead. How did he know that? Because the promise was given to Abraham that through this seed, the whole world would be blessed. He cannot do that if he's dead. So God knew they were going to both come off that mountain because of the covenantal promises given to Abraham. Man, through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Through him, we have this. And he dies on the cross. Oh, I guess it's over. Nope. Three days later, there's a brand new story. And there's a brand new race of person. As I look at this picture, I I love, maybe a little difficult to see with the lights there, but I I really like this picture. It looks a lot better on my iPad than it does on the screen there. But as you let your eyes adjust, I can only see the anguish on Abraham's face. And I can only imagine this. And it didn't dawn on me until I saw this picture. As I see the fire prepared, I see Isaac is bound. It dawned on me. I went, oh yeah, fire is, is always God's purifying judgment in the Bible. 
And if you can see in the lower right-hand corner, there's a lamb, a ram, excuse me, struggling to get out caught in the thickets. And, and afterwards, you can come look at my back and see clear. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? Abraham, what is it? Man, just in time. Man, just in time. So the, this is where the shadow break, the picture breaks down. The picture breaks down because he didn't do it. But a temporary sacrifice was given, but he gave us the picture. But when Jesus was on the cross, the father said, I, I, I'm not going to provide any other sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. You're the lamb. And he turned his back. And that's when Jesus said, my father, father, why have you forsaken me? Because you're the lamb. There is no other sacrifice, Jesus. You're the one. Um, this morning, the biggest thing I want to be able to get across to you is really in our title, and that is Jesus is our resurrector. Jesus fulfilled all these types and shadows, and when the Father resurrected him, he is now alive. And those in him, he actually has the ability to resurrect. So why are we worshiping Jesus this Passover? Well, we're worshiping him because he's alive. Why is that significant? It does show God's incredible power over death, but more importantly, for you, <laughs> he has a little job title. And it just says, Jesus, Resurrector. If he wasn't alive, he couldn't do his job. If he wasn't alive, you would die in your sins, and that'd be the end of your story. But just like Abraham had faith, in a covenantal promise of God that Isaac would be raised, if you're in covenant with Christ this morning, and you've trusted in him, you've called on his name, your story goes on also. And so we worship that he's alive this morning because Jesus is our resurrector. Hopefully this morning that helps you understand Genesis 22 a bit more and uh, we can understand Jesus, our resurrector, as seen through the eyes of Isaac.